I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Hang on to your hats, everyone, because today is unlike any of my previous Aging Fearlessly radio podcasts. You are in for an absolute treat, and I'm really excited. There's some big news. Poetry is making a comeback, and today I have four talented poets who are going to share three poems each, one with a very modern twist, a poetry slam. So welcome Ian Cameron from Victoria, Skylar Winter from WA, Jason John from the stunning town of Bellingen in northern New South Wales, and my good friend Kelly Van Nielsen, who joins me here in the studio today. Kelly, thanks for helping to organise these amazing poets today. In my day, being a baby boomer, when I studied poetry at school for my HSC, we studied A lot of the UK poets, John Keats, Chaucer from the Middle Ages, William Wordsworth and the romantics like Samuel Coleridge. How has poetry changed? I guess poetry in the past has been quite traditional. So if you study poetry at school, there was a lot of academic rules and regulations and structure. And I guess now people are finding a newer sort of modern approach to the way that they approach poetry and they're using it more as a voice to speak out about topics that they really are passionate about. And it's getting this whole momentum because of that. So you're finding sort of poems now have a lot of messaging embedded in them. They've got a lot of beat and rhythm and rhyme and a much more free flow kind of style. So it's attracting this whole new modern kind of new wave audience and it is a way of people just getting their creative form across in um, in a different way. So Kelly, yeah, poetry really has changed in a big way. So look, to get started today, do you want to start with a poem for us just to warm us up and get us in the mood of what is actually, what poetry is all about? And tell me about this first poem that you're going to recite or slam or what are you doing? I might do a little slam piece. So if you're not familiar with slam, slam is much more sort of uh, passion and it comes from the heart. It's got a lot of oomph about it and it's usually good for live performance, whether it be online or whether it be on the radio or whether it be in person at the live social poetry events. So I'm going to do this piece, which is called Cube. Multiple dimensions formulate the shape of a cube just as multiple dimensions formulate me. This is my one-sided story. When I was a struggling high school kid, mean girls used to call me square, assuming it a flat two-dimensional insult. But I knew it was the basis on which I could build a pyramid or a cube or whatever wonder took my mood. On the surface, I'd flash smile at passers-by, showing them only the angle I want them to see. People who know me well see my other sides loving every corner of who I am. Others kiss my cheek with their tongue and their own cheek spreading gossip, ignorant of the fact that they are two-faced. Multiple dimensions formulate the shape of a cube, just as multiple dimensions formulate me. So here I am saying I have more than one face, making me two-faced too. I'm not too ashamed, cheeks inflamed to say it. Every person needs more than two sides to have any fun when rolling life's dice. And while socially three is company, it's far better to have a fourth wall. Hey. You. Am I? Multiple dimensions formulate the shape of a cube. How many dimensions formulate you? Only I can be held responsible for the shape my life takes, moving 54 pieces in combination through 43.2 quintillion variations of a Rubik's Cube, making moves in the right order to create harmony amidst chaotic disorder. For a while, you helped me build a fifth side, adding bricks of confidence cemented with superficial friends paying social dividends. An architecturally flawed structure trespassing on that solid square base of my solitary childhood. You framed the future as sturdy enough to keep a roof over my head, allowing me to call your house our home. Until I realised I had a sixth sense, a waterproof silver lining within the roof, keeping me dry from the storm of life. 
incomprehensible cries, brimming with an off instinct to know the only love I ever saw. Smell, taste, heard and could touch meant nothing as I got from the certainty of knowing you'd put a roof above another's head and flexed your muscles inside their bed, and I hadn't misread the diabolically dire situation. You were convinced my cube would cave in. When I made the move to demolish every brick you ever laid atop my foundation, collapsing our roof to ground zero. But I'm still here with 43.199 quintillion new moves to make. And now I've removed the toxic side of my life that was you. I've discovered it's easier to think outside a box with no ceiling, looking at blue sky. Multiple dimensions formulate the shape of a cube, just as multiple dimensions formulate me. This is my one-sided story. I'm not asking you to take sides. Wow, Kelly, I wish I'd studied that my HSC instead of Chaucer. <laughs> well <laughs> done. Yeah, yeah. definitely got more life to it. Yeah, it yeah, is. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's really inspiring. Is that in one of your books? It is. It's in the new book, which comes out in one week. It's called Punch and Judy. And uh, this one is about turbulent love, modern relationships, and also domestic violence. It's got a, um, a whole theme through it about sort of physical and mental uh, abuse and it's a topic I want to talk about and generate conversation on. Wow, so what a great start. So I'm going to move on to Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Karen. Hi, you're down in uh, the land of Victoria, locked I'm, away there. I'm in Eildon, the township of Eildon, which is on the shores of Lake Eildon, which is twice as big as Sydney Harbour and it's just a beautiful part of the world to live. Well, did you feel me stalking you yesterday? Um, yes, I, I heard the noises around the house late at night too. Um, I was look, well, I was looking at some of your wonderful artwork. Uh, can you tell oh, me yeah. a little bit about you so the audience knows about okay. you and, um, and your type of poetry? Well, okay, so firstly, um, I had a, a 36 or 37-year career as an interior designer. Um, horrible things happened in my life and, um, and then I started painting and drawing and that was wonderful. Um, I've had exhibitions here in Australia and overseas. And then in 2009, I was in a coffee shop and I met a lady there, a poet. She asked me if I was a poet. <laughs> and I said, well, I used to write poetry back in the late 60s. Um, uh, yeah, and even before, when I was at school, I was very into, into words. I loved what you could do with words and what words could mm -hmm. do to you and, and, and to other people and the way they're expressed. Um, and so I got back into performing again after um, being away from the scene um, for uh, a long time. <laughs> and it's, it's never too old to start again, is it? No, never, never. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your best days are still ahead of you. Yeah, I've never thought of that. Thanks for that. I might have to write a little post about that. The best days are still ahead of you. Well, look, so, I, I do have copyright on that, but use it whenever you can and just send me the money. Uh, uh, thanks very much. I will. Uh, how much do you want? We'll negotiate later. So, um, yeah. Ian, would you like to share a poem with us? I would love to. Tell us about the poem you're going to share and how it came about. And um, just go for it. Okay, so, so for me, um, sometimes it starts with a concept. Sometimes it might start with a line. Sometimes it might start with something I see and there's a quirky bent to that. Um, I think, well, I'll just read it. Well, no, I will perform it and then you can make up your own minds. Okay. Okay. This is called Flying. Um, and this is one of my more recent ones. It was written 27th of the 4th, 2020. It's very recent. It is, yes, yes. Okay, so here we go. Flying. Flying into the freedom of flying. I was flying. Hair blown by a speeding breeze. Flying. Flying. Pause of my face filling with cold from the sky. Flying. Pause, storing every ice crystal from every frozen land deep in my heart. I yearn to fly to warmer climes, flying, flying. The heaviness of ice sped my flight, faster, faster, flying, flying with such haste, 
flying, flying, but discovering too late, not flying, not flying, not flying. I was falling, falling, falling with a heart full of ice. Amazing. <laughs> is, that the, is that what we do, Scarlett? We have to go, thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's the slam deal, yeah. That that's the slam deal. Of course, I'm not a, you know, but it is, I'm, yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> Can I say, Ian, did it take you long to write that poem? Um, no, I don't think that one took all that long. No. Sometimes, sometimes words just fall into place very quickly and then... I put it aside and review it um, the next day or a few days later or whatever and, and fine-tune it and cut out bits that that look jagged. and um, But, yeah, look, I, I, it's like, like paintings. I, for me, they're never finished, so maybe poems are never finished either. Do you know, Kelly writes some of her poetry in the shopping, in the shopping aisles. <laughs> so, Skylar, welcome. Hello, great to be here, Karen. It's so nice of you to join us from WA. It's been, yeah, it's great. It's great that uh, this is what I love about Zoom is I can be anywhere. Yeah, we're all having to get used to this new world, which is, it is so different. Skylar, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into the into poetry writing. <clears throat> Um, so I guess probably what um, everyone should know is that I'm actually the alter ego of um of a woman who uh, went through a very traumatic event uh, several years back and um, to help her recover and cope from that I sort of came into being um, so I'm like the brave to her fear or the voice to her silence she was very isolated um, diagnosed with PTSD which this it people think they know about about it but there's not really a lot known about it um, and so that's how I got writing and uh, the poetry helped uh, with that with that uh being able to process the trauma and what had happened actually i didn't even know that that poetry really was alive again i had no idea and then kelly said i'll oh, come along to my book launch and recite one or two of your poems and there i discovered this new world and just fell in love with it and and off i went <laughs> it can really make a great difference to your life when you find a like-minded supportive community yeah Skylar, have you chosen um, a poem that you'd like to share with us? Um, yes. So this is um, probably a, a lighter piece. Um, this is kind of a bit of a um, the sarcastic side of, of Skylar. So, <laughs> um, and it's one of my early pieces um, that I first started sort of playing around with and slamming with. It's called Q and No A. I'm not sexist or racist, elitist or baby boomer. I'm not a unigrad, homophobic, Gen Y or X or Zoomer. A computer is the only thing that asks if I'm robotic. What I truly am is bewildered by a country gone psychotic. The fact that I must state these things before I even start indicates the rapid rate this place is falling apart. Why is junk food cheap, yet its cost on health extreme? Why is welfare on the rise and our homeless statistic obscene? Why is tax on ciggies huge but small on sugar and fat? Why is good food expensive? It's medicine. That's a fact. Why are kids of 10 living on our streets when we're the lucky nation? Refugees flock to us in fleets. Why are we mining our resources and exporting them still raw for other nations to value add and sell back at 10 times more? And why are we not forging infrastructure that bestows intrinsic self-sufficiency on our nation as it grows? Not value adding to resources because we can't compete is short-sighted, destabilising and reeks of political deceit. And what about our oldies, the ones who made this country great, went to war, did it tough, always ready to help a mate? <laughs> They're living it up in nursing homes, underfunded by their pensions, earned with 50 years of hard work, low pay and honest intentions. Yeah, they're having a great time. Most get to shower every day. There's the odd bit of cruelty, but, you know, generally it's okay. And don't blame the government. They're not paid to be long-sighted. Three years is all they've got to fix what the previous government blighted. How could they foresee there'd be no money to take care of the aged? They could not have possibly have known a war on obesity would have to be waged because who knew sugar and fat eaten in quantities huge would cause a health crisis of diabetes and a heart disease deluge? Why are we selling our land and water to countries with no allegiance? 
Why aren't we fighting to protect all our resources with expedience? Why aren't we playing the long game to build a strong and healthy nation? Why aren't we demanding the best for our deserving population? Why are we settling for less than the great country we can be? Why aren't we united by social outrage instead of apathy? I want that as a commercial on TV, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really, oh, there's so many brilliant lines in there. Yeah, Kelly? Awesome. Yeah, I love I love Skylar's work. She always gets a punch in there and generates the uh, the taboo topics that people avoid. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about mining and some of the things that have happened in WA recently that can never be repaired, you just go, you know, there's so much to think about that we yeah. need to fix. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So let's move over to Jason John. Hey, Karen, how are you? Hi, I'm well, Jason. How's Bellingen? Is it raining up there today? It is. I don't know if the microphone's picking it up, but, uh, yeah, we're getting quite a deluge at the moment. I'm just hoping that thunder doesn't start in the next 45 minutes. And I believe you also run Poetry Slams yourself, Jason. Uh, I emceed the Bellingen Poetry Slam this year. Yeah, I competed in it for a couple of years and then thought it was my turn to help put it on. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, Good to get involved. And, look, I was stalking you yesterday too, you know, positively stalking. <laughs> I was listening to some of your um, poetry on stage and loving it and learning more about you. So can you share with the Ageing Fearlessly listeners a little about you? Sure. Uh, so um, I work in the Uniting Church in environmental advocacy, uh, or at least I will for another couple of months. I got made redundant like many of your listeners uh, just recently. Um, so I live out here in the forest with my family. Um, I got involved in poetry a few years ago because I kept telling my children who do music that they should you know, give it a go and not be afraid to make mistakes and just get up there on stage and realise what a hypocrite I was being. Uh, because the Poetry Slam came around in Bellingen every year and I kept chickening out. So a few years ago, I finally decided to get up there and give it a go. And, yeah, haven't looked back. It was great fun. So you've got over the nerves. No, but it's still, it's still fun. A little, a, a little bit of nerves is actually good for you. Probably perform a little better. It, it's very strange performing on uh, Zoom. I don't know how the others have found it, but, yes, it's very different standing in front of 300 people where you get that kind of instant feedback compared to doing it on your computer. It's a bit more relaxed because if you mess up, you're just at home by yourself in your pyjamas and it doesn't really matter. You haven't got 300 people staring at you, but um, the adrenaline uh, high isn't quite as high on Zoom, I think. I hope you're wearing those Peter Alexander pyjamas or, you know, <laughs> no, <I'm only> joking. <laughs> Hey, Jason, so tell us about your next poem and then just jump in and share. Sure. Uh, so this poem came from a conversation I was having with a friend about how, you know, racism basically uh, works really well as a tool for people in power to keep pitting um, poorer people against each other instead of us uniting and maybe reforming the economic system. So kind of fighting over scraps. So, you know, one of those deep late night conversations. And the next day on the radio, I heard someone say uh, a line which became the first line of the poem. Okay. So, I'm not a racist, but I've got a racist butt. It's super wide and full of shit. As much as I can, I try to ignore it. It's just kind of there, getting through each day with a lot of weight to bear and nothing pleasant to say. Mostly just rumbling and grumbling and letting off a little steam. Nothing really worth contesting, or so it seems to me. But every now and then, my racist bottom goes too far. Out comes a roiling torrent of turds more offensive than a White Lives Matter to hashtag and nearly as absurd. But... I decided to believe that my bottom could be changed. Maybe if I tried really hard, I might get my butt to see the light. So I showed my butt the light. I showed it all round Parramatta till the cop said, that's not right. Put that butt away, I say. Put it away right now. But how can my bottom be changed if it's kept in the dark with no sense of autonomy, with no better job prospects than making lots of little jobbies? How will my brown eye see that other brown eyes aren't the enemy? The bottoms of all shapes and sizes are being deceived because those in control don't want them to be free as they were in days of old. Days when bottoms of all colours roamed free, not hidden away, with the sun on their face lighting up their bum smiles as they rippled with muscle from walking for miles hunting reindeer and antelope and bison and roo and from squatting when they felt like it to let out the poo. White bums and brown bums and yellow bums too. They're colour dictated by the need to absorb vitamin D. You see, that's no basis for discrimination. How much sun's shone in your ancestors' nation? We'll bleed red blood. We'll poo brown poo. Unless there's something wrong with you. 
So all you bottoms listening out there, rise up and give a flatulent cheer. No more should the squishy stuff up top control you or pitch you against the other bottoms listening beside you. They look down on you, they dare, when all the racist, homophobic, misogynistic crap comes from up there. You may have the anus, but the brain is the asshole. Take back your sphincter, take back control. Say no more, I'm not a racist, but... Say simply, I'm not a racist, but... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so clever. <laughs> oh, well done. Thank you so much. So that's a great share from all of you. And uh, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. The pandemic. So, Skylar, how are you finding um, the poetry scene impacting through the pandemic? Um, I guess so. For me personally, uh, I've I've actually think it think it's been a really positive thing. In that, suddenly I'm getting to meet poets from all over the world. I'm getting to be mm. yes, I'm getting to be in the UK. I'm getting to be in New Zealand. Um, and that is something that I would never ever really I don't think have come across if without the pandemic. And I don't know whether those online events were happening before, um, but. Um, I'd never heard of them and yeah once we all went into isolation and these events started coming up it was just a godsend um, it's still you know I could just meet with all these people that uh, and without the cost without the discomfort of having to go anywhere <laughs> yeah um, so um, and I also think as well that with the time and space of isolation it's brought a lot more people to the scene because poetry just seems to be that thing that really helps or writing in general that helps people process um, feelings uh, and experiences and I think it's a really really great way to process what's going on for us. Yeah and you know in in the middle of winter which cold in Australia but sometimes at night you might not want to go out to an event when it's raining and cold and I know Kelly got up the other morning at four o'clock to do something in the UK and, you know, as much as I think she's crazy, I love it that she's so enthusiastic about doing that. Skylar, have you got another poem you'd like to perform? Um, yes. So one of the things as well that for me uh, isolation and the pandemic's been good for is that um, the PTSD uh, has really impacted on memory and so when you're on Zoom you can get away with reading your poems instead of um, having to commit them to memory um, and this is my very first poem that I ever wrote to process a bit of what was going on for me. It's called Quiet Corruption. Quiet, quiet, calm. Talking, talking, talking. Questions, answers, questions, answers, questions, answers, overwhelmed snap. Shouting, shrieking, screaming, swearing, cursing, hating, ears, heart, doors, ringing, pounding, slamming, guilt, despair, devastation, misery, lost desolation, mind, body, person, altered, broken, fading, mouth, throat, chest, dry, tight, heaving, mother, child, husband, trying, crying, pleading, overwrought, bewildered, shaking, self-loathing, Overtanking. What madness is this? Neither sought nor invited, an unwelcome guest arriving without warning, appearing, coming, going, spoiling. A cunning assailant, engulfing, destroying, wreaking havoc, laying waste, leaving guilt, heartbreak in its wake. Exhausted surrender. Breath in, breath out. Regroup, watch, wait, uneasy, sweat-drenched, queasy, dreading, fearing, despising, the vicious eruption, the soul-destroying corruption of the quiet, quiet, calm. Bravo, Skylar. Love it. So you're finding that writing that poem, it was one of your first... Um, yes, yeah, so that was the first. So I never thought, I mean, I'd written poetry as a kid at school because you had to, um, but like I said, I thought poetry was dead and I did not consider myself a poet and I thought I hated poetry. <laughs> and um, and I joined a writer's group and they said, oh, what do you write? And I said, all this stuff that I wrote. Uh, and then for the next, like, I don't know, 10 weeks in a row or something, I rocked up with a poem and they said, oh, you never said you wrote poetry. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed... Um, I think, yeah, just uh, processing the trauma, it's like 
a lot of the time you can't even put it into full sentences. It literally is just words, you know, just these just rough, raw emotions. And so that's um, that's sort of how that I just it just came to me one day, and it was just like word after word after word of mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Kelly, do you follow a theme, a, a, a standard poetry theme, when you're writing poetry? I probably say the underlying theme is just social issues and current day problems. I, I write about things like, for example, anti-bullying in the corporate world and in schools. I write about domestic violence. I write about mental health awareness and suicide and, and just um, whatever is happening that day. And I, and I do write in the supermarkets. I'm always typing little <laughs> notes to myself in my phone and then I check them later. And I go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea I had when I was, um, you know, sitting in, the, in a taxi or waiting to pay for my shopping. So I just write about things that I say and I, I like to look for the beauty in the abnormal, you know, the things that are concrete jungles and, you know, graffiti messages on a wall or, you know, whatever is going on in the world right now today. So it, it's, it's very current. So yeah. with graffiti, can you pass me, because, you know, for those people looking at um, or listening to Kelly, you know, she did write this book, Graffiti Lane, and that's Hosea Lane in Melbourne. And that's done so well. Um, I, you know, I'm proud of you. I, I only met you last year when you wrote to the radio station looking for someone to interview you and we've become good friends. From, sorry, I get a bit, you know, because Kelly just amazes me in all the things that she does. And, you know, I love talking to her about Graffiti Lane. Have you got another poem for me? I have, and I might stick with the um, the dealing with sort of emotion and just finding outlets for coping with um, stress. And uh, I, I've been doing this one on the Poetry Slam scene for the last couple of weeks, so it's not in either of my books. It's very new. It's my sort of current experience with the pandemic. And I, I, I live in New South Wales, but my husband flies in and out to Western Australia. He's a, a FIFO worker. And he works at an oil and gas site. And, of course, the border restrictions are, are playing some havoc on our lives. And I wrote this one. So it's um, it's my little emotional stress outlet. And it is called Red Dust. So I'm going to dive into this one. And there is a line in here. I've been playing with it a little bit. My husband is from South Africa. So I have an Afrikaans line in here. You'll recognize the line. And uh, I'm going to use the Afrikaans language for this one line. And it means I can't speak right now. So when you hear this line, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll spot it. Here we go. I wore white once, bronze shoulders, blue garter, gold ring. Strolled the aisle with pride, you by my side, bound by our partnership oath. Honeymoon wander, lost, credit card bust. I was me, you were you, we were us. Two decades ago, before red dust. I was me once, northern girl with the English fair skin. You were you once, African boy, our souls were akin. We were us once, no money, but inseparable. Carved a life on a dime, I learned how to rhyme, entry ticket into the land of red dust. Now I free flow while you five flow, but I'm still me, you're still you, we're still us. When the beaten life changes, it screws you up. Roll with it. Suck it up. High-vis, steel caps two weeks on. Barbecue, jiu-jitsu, two weeks off. Red dust, no us, two weeks on. Red lipstick, date night, two weeks off. Red dust, two weeks on. Red lipstick, two weeks off. Red dust, red lipstick, red dust, red lipstick, two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. I'm still me, you're still you, we're still us, red dust. You flew out two weeks on, that was then. Before COVID, pandemic claimed our men. And women, and them, and the old, vulnerable, now our airlines are bust and you're beached in red dust, I'm alone behind mask to protect. Barrel particles taking hostage of breath. Borders closed with me east while you're in the west, different time, different place, watch sunset, marriage test. We call and we zoom and FaceTime, what's up, are you okay, I ask you. Echanina prakni, you tell me. I can't speak at the moment, okay. What's up, are you okay? What's up, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm still me, I'm still here, you're still you, you're still there, we're still us on the east and the west. Twenty weeks, not two weeks was the on. Permission slip to make a trip home. Red lipstick back on, all dressed up. Barbecue, jiu-jitsu, two weeks off. Each day a reborn honeymoon. Skin to skin, not on FaceTime or Zoom. But too soon you have to pack quarantine or the sack me and kids on the end of the phone, you alone. 
I saw SOS, I saw SOS, I saw SOS, are you okay? We do what we do and we love all I'm still me, I'm still here, you're still you, you're still there, we're still us on the east and the west, red dust. Five four echanino pratni. I saw echanino pratni. Five four are you okay? I saw are you okay? Five four echanino pratni. When dust settles, the red tip gets caught. I'm still me, you're still you, we're still us. We're red dust, SOS, we're red dust, SOS, we're red dust, not okay, SOS. Oh, I feel you. Kelly, Mm. (laughs) I was at Kelly's the other night and I know that her husband is possibly away now for four months. He is away, yeah. And you can, you know, all these things that the pandemic has brought around for all of us. So Skylar's experience doing more poetry. Um, Ian, I'm sure you're having some really great experiences with your art. And, you know, and for me, I'm learning more about technology, which I'm crap at, but I am. And so but Kelly's contending with a whole, you know, parting of the family to keep a wage coming in and on the other side of Australia. So, Jason. Hey, again, Karen. Hi. Jason, you know, like traditional poetry, like haikus or, you know, formats for poems, do you follow any format? Uh, when you were talking about studying poetry earlier, um, pretty much Dr. Seuss was the main poet that I studied and was aware of. I think we did Bruce Dorr at school, but I don't remember any of his poems. So my poems mostly rhyme kind of somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that's about the only rule I have. And uh, the first poetry workshop I went to talked about how trite it is to rhyme poems anymore. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I've stuck with it. So yeah, they kind of rhyme and that's about it. You're a bit of a fan. Are you a fan of Pam, Pam Ayers? I was as a kid, yeah. Um, Dad, it was the first concert I ever went to. was a Pam Ayers concert. <laughs> I used to like Pam Ayers too. It was um, like back then, you know, she was very different to your normal poetry. Do you want to share something else with us? Yeah, sure. I was going to do a kind of religious political rant because that's where quite a few of my poems end up. Um, but just having listened to the two poems we had, uh, I thought I'd do one that's a bit more personal and relational and a bit of the kind of struggles uh, in relationships uh, ex- from external factors, I guess. I met this woman on a sexual harassment committee leading to a dilemma because I thought she was really pretty, but did I dare to tell her? And by me, she was quite smitten, but we had literally just written about how inappropriate it might be to ask someone out on a date. Even scarier to me, she was a singer, you see, in a lesbian feminist band, so now you understand my hesitation. And she knew I was a Christian, a Christian minister at that, not yet legally divorced. But of course, sometimes you just have to grow up and take a chance. So I asked my friend to ask her friend to ask her to tell her friend to tell my friend to tell me if she would like to dance. She wouldn't. And if you've ever seen me try, you'd understand why. But she did want a root, so we got together and a few months later I finally let her. Then we started on a baby who we took to our wedding, which was to some extent our way of getting some Christian fellas off our back. You see, they were emphatic that our love, no matter how ecstatic, must be chased. My minister was right when he said, hide the light of your love beneath a bushel, keep it secret, keep it safe. Sure, it may be blessed by the divine, but even if it's a pearl, there are plenty of swine. But even straight white blokes like me begin to feel ashamed if they accept their love is one which dare not speak its name, so I decided to witness, not beg for forgiveness which sounds brave now, but I would have quit a dozen times in the years that followed, except for everyone who confronted me with my disgrace. There was another who saw us as a sign of grace, thinking if he's still a minister, maybe I still fit. And all the while, bare secret stories of celebration hidden beneath layers of shame and alienation came quietly and circuitously into our conversation, all these tiny little stories, feeling so alone because nobody dares to tell them in church in case of that first stone. Why am I telling you this? Well, it's not just the free catharsis. I'm hoping that a few of you, after we all get up off our asses and travel home, will tell your story of celebration and make Australia a more open-minded nation. Go on, take a chance. Tell someone about that time you asked the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong place to dance. Thanks for sharing that. I could see Ian laughing away there in the background. (laughs) He was chuckling madly. I'm not sure if you could hear it, but ironically, Tony just uh, fired up the coffee machine. She must just be about to head off to a shift. So oh, what sort of what sort of work does she do? Uh, she's a mental health nurse, so oh, okay. uh, yeah, she's at least seeing some interesting times at the moment. Yeah, Ian, 
Let's get back to you, Joe. Are there any age advantages or barriers to being a successful poet? You, you know, I've met because I'm an old guy. No, I didn't. <laughs> Truthfully, I didn't. <laughs> um, you know, do you find any barriers or advantages? Um, barriers, no. Advantages, probably. Um, I'm um, what I'm four or five months away from being seventy. Mm-hmm. I know. I- but anyway, you um, don't look it. No, thank you. Um, so I guess having lived this number of years, there are a million other things to write about that the 17, 18, 28, 38, 48 year old would have no idea about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that can be seen as an advantage, but, but I don't write so much about age related issues anyway. I don't, I don't really write about issues as such. A lot of my work is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through some pretty horrendous abuse stuff. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's why I sort of related to what Jason was saying because I, my, my background was very much in the um, fundamentalist evangelical um, menagerie of mayhem and madness. Um, and so... Um, yeah, a lot of my work tends to be very personal and um, I came from a place of um, incredible um, pain and, um, yeah, so very unpleasant time to get through but um, I, got, I got through it by painting and drawing and then when I came into poetry again, of course, um, yeah, it's all very helpful, it's all very cathartic um, and quite mm. frankly, a whole lot of fun. And if you're not having fun with it, then do something else. I want to talk in a, in a little while about um, writing and, and putting pen to paper in terms of being cathartic. But Ian, please share another poem. Okay, so this one, th- this one, pretty much, in a way, sums up what I've just been saying. Um, this is called Bottom of the Page. Uh, all of my work tends to be, uh, well, it's not long. I don't do great big long poems because. I can't concentrate on other people's great big long poems. So um, I sort of figure if, <laughs> if I'm reading a great big long poem, people will get lost anyway, and I will too. So. <laughs> so this is called Bottom of the Page. I spill words onto a page and wipe them off quickly so I am not revealed. I can read between the lines as I'm pressed hard between them the weight of one line subduing me between it and the next line, dragging me between the lines until, scratched and bruised, I'm finally at the end of the poem. With no line above me pressing me down onto the next line, I finally reach a conclusion and fall to the bottom of the page where nothing can be read of me. Here I find peace after being spilled out with words. The words above me, the words within me, the words written so eventually I can find rest at the bottom of the page. Hmm, yeah. I really enjoyed that. And it's funny how, you know, images in your mind, does anyone else see an image created when that poem is being read? Like... I have a page and I have, really, that's great. Would anyone like to share anything or do you just want to jump in and do one more poem each? Let's go. Jason, I'm doing these totally out of order. I'm just going, Jason, another poem. Sure. Um, I think we were asked to think of a short one, so I thought I'd do this one. Um, It's a gender-neutral poem, which probably works better physically but so there's there's two theirs basically hopefully you can follow along they slide their hand inside their thigh provoking moist reaction slipperiness and parted lips a lover in action they slide their hand inside a glove provoking moist reaction slippery dishes soon are clean a lover in action They slide their hand in nappy box because of some moist action. Sloppy bottom soon is clean, a lover in action. They clench their hands in rage at them, an argument, reaction, shouting, weeping, silence, a lover in action. 
They slide their hand inside their thigh, provoking moist reaction. The kids are out, and they're alone, a lover in action. They put their hand up to their mouth, Pavlovian reaction. Toothless gums chew soggy food, a lover in action. They lay themselves upon their grave, reject all consolation. Moistened eyes and trembling lips, a lover in action. I like this. <laughs> I imagine my great nieces would like this little one. That was fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Did that take you long? Did you know? There's a lot of different that, concepts in there. Was it a? Yeah. It, in the end, it was very quick. Initially, it was it was meant to be a poem about the sounds that lovers make, and so it was going to be you know obviously sex and the dishes and babies crying, and I just couldn't <laughs> get anywhere with it. And then after about a week, um, suddenly I just went. Forget the noises. Let's just tell the story. And, yeah, then it was really quick. Is there a time of day, because I know when my words, and I'm not talking about poetry, but whatever I'm trying to write, whether it be an opening to an interview, it's usually I wake up at 2 in the morning and the words are there and it's dropped them down and they'll never be the same again if I waited to the morning and said I'll write that in the morning. Do any of you have a particular time of day? Just jump in. Is there a time of day yeah, that things happen same. for you? Or 5am or after a poetry slam I've just been to because usually there's so much adrenaline that I know I'm not going to get to sleep anyway, so I just start jotting down ideas. Yeah. And Skylar, any particular time for you? Um, just any time that I can actually carve out, it, uh, I try and make work for me. So if things come to me, things usually come to me in the middle of the night and I lay there thinking, I've got to remember that, I've got to remember that, I've got to remember that. And, um, you know, quite if my partner isn't home because he's FIFO as well, I will turn on the light and jot stuff down. But if he's home, I just try and rely on remembering in the morning and then I leap up and first thing I'm doing is scratching things down. It's for me though, Skylar. It's the way the words come out in the night that it's is like the concept I might remember, but it's <clears throat> it's actually the way the words come out yeah. that I find most um, beautiful in the middle of the night. Ian, do you have a time? What about when you're painting more? For me uh, personally, I find the times that ideas and thoughts come to me are always the wrong time. It's always inconvenient. I'm always, I've always had something else happening in the middle of the night. I want to go to sleep. Shut up, Ed. Or I might be doing something else important. I might be driving and this idea comes to me and it's difficult to write while you're driving. And apparently it's illegal also. So that sort of makes things a wee bit difficult. You have to pull over and write it down. I, wrote, I wrote, write all my ideas on the phone. Uh, it might be just, you know, one or two lines and then play around with it when I've got time. That's a good idea. Kelly, do you want to go with another poem, please? I might do um, a short one as well. And I was chatting earlier about social issues. I like to do um, work with high school students and youths and the youth community to try and work with them on anti-bullying and resilience. Um, and the reason I, I do so much in the anti-bullying space, I was bullied when I was a, a, at school, when I was a high school kid. And yes, yeah, so it comes from experience and I try and make it super relatable, um, short and sharp. Um, so this one's super short. And if it's too short, I can do a corporate bullying one as well, <laughs> back to back with it. But uh, it's very, very short and it resonates a bit with the kids and it starts the conversation if I'm in the school or something. So it's just a nice little one and it's called Sticks and Stones. Verbal sticks and demeaning stones tossed my way, can't break my bones. Instead, they crush sensitive soul into the pavement, t'was mean girl's goal. Stomped between cracks, chewed up gum, nothing more than a nuisance. You done? Yes. That one here, yes. Ones. It is. A, I love the short too. Mm. So we are like, I work in the corporate world. Can you do a quick corporate? Um, I might do something funny because I seem like I'm a really serious <laughs> depressed poet and I have my moments, but I, I do try and drop in some humour as well. So this is my, uh, my little dig at humour and it's called When the Bell Tolls. The bell tolls three times proclaiming to the office the sale has been attained, triggering a tsunami of celebrations, clapping, cheering, beneath breath, jealous jeering at golden success of a colleague, conquering a mountain of unrealistic targets. 
The bell tolls three times, relegating the rest of us into overshadowed shame, forcing us to commit terrible crimes, spitting in coffee, deleting important files, depleting confidence until eventually death of a salesman is inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my little corporate... Uh, uh, yeah, if anyone works in sales, I, we've got a big sales team and I, I work in the corporate world in the day and sales is hard, hard yards. So that's my uh, my little... What I love is that we all juggle other things in our lives and we have these passion little projects that we get into and, yeah, I really love that. Skylar, have you done three or are we up to only two for you? No, I've only done two. Can, we, can you do another one for us, please? Um, sure, I'd love to. Um, so the first two uh, poems that I did um, come from my book, which is about to be released in October. It's called oh. Humanity. Um, is, so, that, is that similar to your website or your Facebook? Yep. So that's, um, yeah, that's similar to the website, Facebook. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so, but this one is, uh, is hopefully going to be my second book, which I'm <laughs> writing. Uh, and the, one of the, things that I like to explore is uh, the, what what lies beneath the surface of us all because we're all sort of we have this thing where it's like you know you've got to put your put your game face on and all this kind of stuff yep. and obviously there's all these people walking around the world with you know hiding what's going on beneath the surface for them so a lot of my poems um, do have that as a theme so this one is called warning and it's just questioning you know what would happen if we all just actually presented what was going on for us. Mm -hmm. I come with a warning. My themes are dark and non-conforming and I'm sorry because the only one my demons should hurt is me but they purge at random moments seeking clarity. If you're feeling fragmented, take this opportunity to leave. Please, take responsibility for protecting your fragility from my sufferings too engulfing to contain, too raw to refrain, too immense, to even name. Please, leave if you need. My intention is not to cause you pain, but to put down what causes me pain. And in the shedding of that skin, my healing can begin and I can hurt you no more. If every day began with a warning somewhat similar, would we approach life with an attitude far less cavalier? Would we interact with fellow human beings from streams of thought meticulously edited to be free of all but lovingly crafted intention to connect? If we issued a daily statement alerting others to our character ailments, gave full disclosure before they entered trajectory of our innately flawed complexity, would we broaden our capacity to accept the unsatisfactory elements in humanity? If we conducted ourselves openly, laid out our unique fragments of insanity and with a shrug said, there you go, there's the crazy bits of me. Would we cease taking everything so personally? Would we finally be free from acting out so perversely in our clumsy attempts to hide, disguise and disavow the pieces we think ugly? With nothing left to hide, could we tear down the structures that provide scaffolding to the stories which reside in our minds dictating the how and why of our treatment of each other? Would we exhale with the relief or be filled with disbelief that we have been operating from a brief of perspectives whose chief role was to give us a sense of measure just as distance over speed gives us a concept of time, race plus location offers probability of crime and wealth over minority equals not equality, but a concept that your life has a value higher or lower than mine. If every interaction began with a preface of all the reasons why we may not choose kindness, would the words spoken aloud find us realising they're not reasons, just prejudice, stemming from a story which is our story but need not define us? Hmm. Well done there. Yeah, that was really great. Do you know what a part of it took me to, Skylar, was the way everything is perfect on Instagram? Yes. And that our lives are so perfect, yeah. but no one sees, no one saw me on Monday sitting with my heads in my hand going, what the frick? Yeah. You know, it's like you cover up all of those things about you and something you guys don't, Kelly knows about me, but I suffered very, very badly from a generalised anxiety disorder and through a lot of my 20s and 30s, which which makes me who I am today. Yeah. But people don't see that side of you and then they go, well, there's always this upbeat side of you. But, yeah, there's that side of me, you know. We just don't and present it. That's right. And there's so many people walking around 
um, you know, who are actually so strong and, and they're real fighters because that's exactly right. They're carrying around this thing that they're constantly having to, you know, portray a different face to the world. And I think, you know, there's a lot of loneliness in that. But, um, you know, I think that being prepared to ask questions which a lot of my poetry does. I like to sort of present lots of questions to get people thinking, to get people outside of that space that what you see is what you get because it's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ian, have you done three? Two? Ah, oh, come back then. Here I am. Hello. Hello. What, what? I've got another question for you at the end. What would you like to share next? Okay, so I'm going to um, do a, a little piece called All That Jazz. This poem is one of the two that I get requested very often. Is that Liza Minnelli, all that jazz? No, 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 this is, this is Ian Cameron Wood. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Ian. Yes, okay. Um, so just to, to fill you in, um, for me, performance poetry is... 100% about performance as well as it is 100% about words. Um, and, and so the performance of it is very important because some poets tend to get up and read it like they're doing the weather on the, on the news and it's just, yeah, I don't want to be boring. So this is called All That Jazz. I have jazz in my head. I have jazz in my heart, jazz on my lips. I hear jazz in my ears. I see jazz through my eyes. I smell jazz in the air. I have jazz in my dreams. I feel jazz in my fingers. And everything seems beautiful in all that jazz. But all that jazz gives way to the blues when I think of you. I wish you were here. I wish I could see your face. I wish I could look into your eyes and hear you sing life to me once again. I would give all that jazz away to kiss you one more time. I would keep my fingers from all instruments to hold you one more time. If I could hold you one more time, then I'll never hear you sing again nor dance with you in jazz-drenched rain. And it seems jazz life has been in vain, and all I have now is the blues. Since you joined that country and western band. <laughs> ah, awesome. <laughs> Hang on. on. <laughs> so so the, the, the deal with that, um, it could be about anything. Yes. Uh, it could be, I mean, getting back to like a church environment, uh, since you joined that other religion or since you went off with some other guy. You know, it, it, there's just so many things that could be applied to. Um, it could be, you know, losing a partner. Yes, you know, exactly. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. That, that was probably where it took me. Yeah. To, but everyone probably goes to a different place. Yeah. Someone asked me one time, what, what is your poetry about? And, and I didn't think about it. The words just came out. It's about life, love, loneliness, and laughter. So they seem to sort of intertwine in just about everything I do in some way. The four L's. The four L's, yes, the four L's. The That's four a good L's. name for a band. Well, there's, we should start up a band and call ourselves the four the L's. four L's, yeah. The four L's, yeah. <laughs> I know for Kelly that... She finds her poetry, I guess, like other people find journaling, and similar for you, Skylar, that it's cathartic, that it uh, helps her to make sense of her life and past. Yeah, do you want to elaborate on that at all, Kelly? Yeah, I think it's just a way of dealing with emotion. So instead of sort of bottling up everything inside, it's just it, it's it's poetry is my creative way of getting it out of the system. And I do find it really therapeutic and sort of soothing. And I'm generally a massive insomniac and the brain is always going, but I find poetry before bed is, whether it's reading it or writing it, is a good way to get out of the stresses of the day and then switch off a little bit. So I, I just find it is my, my personal vehicle for dealing with the world. And, and, you know, it's like music. Musicians, they use music for the same reason, you know, to just really um, 
express their emotions and artists are the same in what they paint and it's just create creative flow I think and I love it I love the community it's a really welcoming poetry community but but I find it quite healing and quite therapeutic so do any of you have any advice for the listeners today to help them maybe if they're thinking of taking up poetry take up poetry (laughs) just do it I think you can write write little short ones like I, I started writing the I don't know if anyone else on the um writes the short haikus like they're they're literally like you know five syllables seven syllables five syllables they're so quick and easy and you can it doesn't have to be a long epic sort of saga and you know it can be a short two-line thing um you know so it, and I think you can write it in a notebook you can type it on your phone I use the little recording app um yeah. You know, if I'm out and about, I just record myself. I look like a mad woman as I'm walking down the street having a conversation with myself. But it, it doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to share it on an open mic in front of, you know, a huge audience. If you don't want to, it can be personal or you can go big bang and put out your work. So I, I think just give it a go. Like Jason said, you know, sit, sit down and write something and, and do what works for you. Yeah. I think and- the other thing is um, keep the scraps would be my other bit of advice like I didn't actually think I'd written many poems until I put my book together um, and then found all these scraps and went oh actually you know a quarter of these are pretty good and then worked on them a bit more and so yeah some things dating back years that I'd forgotten ever writing but it's just yeah don't throw anything out. What's your book Jason the title? <laughs> Funnily enough I'm not a racist but I've got a racist butt. Ah and that was your first poem. That was the first poem it. yeah. Yeah Skyla, I know for you, it helps you with your post-traumatic stress. But um, any any tips for anyone out there that might like to take up being a poet? Uh, look, I just think uh, poetry is one of those things like most artistic pursuits. It does come from the heart. So I think just not being caught up in how other people are writing or what you think you should be writing or, you know, for me it never works. Just like I couldn't sit down and go, oh, I'm going to write a poem about, you know, flowers or something like I just would not be out or if I did string some words together I'd be totally shite um so I just yeah it's just it's what comes to you in the moment and it's authentic and it's you and and there's no rules anymore so just yeah be free with it and be brave and and yeah like Kelly said you, you don't have to perform it for anyone it's just getting working from what's going on inside yeah. getting it out and there's there's no right or wrong there's no such thing as perfectionist in this this is there it's just at all just yeah. you and your feelings and thoughts yeah okay thank you so much I have really loved today and, and you guys have found community in poetry and in poetry slamming you know I know personally how important community is to keeping life healthy lifestyle healthy and to keep mental fitness so thanks everyone for coming along thank you thanks Kelly. and i wish I you luck for the yeah. yeah and i wish you luck when you're slamming against each other because you're pretty competitive <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. i don't slam <laughs> It's, it's a funny thing that, yes, every, the community is very supportive and every Poetry Slam I've been to, everyone's super supportive, but also kind of hopes that you don't do quite as well as them. So it's a, yeah, <laughs> so, a funny thing to negotiate. And you all have such very different backgrounds. And, look, I love that. And uh, I think for me, um, now having the, the, the courage to go out and speak to people all over Australia, it's an absolute pleasure um, and to learn more about poetry. And congratulations on the work you do. Um, and cheerio for now. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks very much, Karen. It was Bye. very enjoyable. See everyone. Bye. Yeah, boys and girls. Bye. I've ended recording. Hang on, I'm just... Bye. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life.
Let's go and climb mountains Swim across oceans Let your heart be alive. 